Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Simplifying Nesod. This week's perasha is Miketz, and this class deals with the aspect of dreams, memory, forgetting, and the power of memory. It was recorded originally in 5781. It was at the end of two years. And Paro dreams a dream. The Gemara tells us what day was it? The day was Rosh Hashanah. Yosef is freed on Rosh Hashanah. That's the day they take him for a haircut. The question is, they take him for a haircut on Rosh Hashanah. How could it be? He's going to see the king. Now, we have to remember, if we go back to last week's parasha, it ended with Joseph explaining the dreams to the baker and to the wine steward. He tells the wine steward or the, the butler he's going to be released back to the service of Paroah. And he says to him, do me a favor, remember me. And he uses two words. Basically says, remember me, remember me. That's the way the Perashah ends. And the ending is that he didn't remember him. He didn't remember Yosef. So we know Yosef, we, we, we're told Yosef was, was, uh, was put in jail and he was in jail for approximately 10 years and then another 2 years. The Gemara says he's released on Rosh Hashanah and the dream occurred to Paroah on Rosh Hashanah. So now the Perashah is telling us that Yosef, that the, uh, the butler didn't remember. The Midrash tells us that he actually wanted to remember. Every night he would go to sleep and he would say to himself, okay, tomorrow I'm going to remember to tell Paro about this Yosef guy. And the uh, Midrash tells us at night, he would tie a little string, and an angel would come and untie the string. Or he would put a pebble in his pocket, and the angel would come and swipe the pebble. And he would constantly forget, every day he would forget, every night he would remember that he forgot. And he, uh, he obviously didn't, didn't tell Paro anything. And two years go by. Obviously, Hashem is the one who's forcing, who's forcing the, uh, the butler to forget. And the guy should have remembered. The punishment, though, is very difficult for us to understand. Yosef utters two words, remember me, remember me. And what happens? Rashi says, because he says, remember me twice... He's stuck in jail for an extra two years. He should have had perfect faith in Hashem. One year per word. I was thinking about this idea of one year per word, and we see Yosef again will get punished, losing 10 years of his life because of 10 words. 10 words are him hearing the word Avdecha about his father five times from his brothers and five times from the translators. The rabbis tell us he should have lived 120 years. Instead, he lives 110 years. He loses one year of his life for each word. Loses two years in prison for each word. And we see it again. It happens to his father. Yaakov Avinu, when he meets Paro, he tells Paro, when Paro says, you look like you're very old, he tells Paro what a rough life he had. 
Hashem said, rough life, I took care of you in Lavan, I took care of you in Canaan, I, br I brought Dina back alive to you, I brought Yosef back to you to connect with Yosef, you're complaining? He says, you're complaining 33 words, and the rabbis tell us he should have lived 180 like his father, instead he died at 147. 33 words, 33 years lost. It teaches us a lesson, watch out what we say. I, I, I can't answer you why a year for work. I'm still trying to work that out. I was actually just having a conversation with a rabbi, but we, we couldn't get anywhere. So one year per word, two years. It seems very, very harsh. In fact, it seems almost crazy because aren't we supposed to have hishtadlut? Aren't we supposed to have an effort? Aren't we supposed to try to do something on our own? How is it possible that because he tells him, let us out for two years, I mean, remember me, remember me, he loses two more years in jail. Says, says that uh, two years, it seems very harsh. What if he had uttered a hundred words to the guy? Would he have lost his entire life? Very hard to understand. The rabbis tell us, no, we have to remember that he's at a very high level, Yosef, but it still seems to be a very, very strange punishment, both for Yosef and for his father later on. We need to understand what really went wrong over here. So back to this week. Paro has a dream. And what is the purpose of all that's happening? Maybe it's all to get Yaakov to come down to Egypt. The dream and not remembering and then remembering is going to lead to the release of Yosef. But the rabbis ask a question, why was it necessary for all of this to happen through a dream? What is the idea of a dream that Hashem chose that through a dream, Yosef is going to be raised? Through a dream, Yosef is going to become the viceroy. And through a dream, Yaakov eventually with his family will come down to Mitzrayim. He has a dream, Paroh. He dreams about the skinny cow, the fat cows, and the skinny cows, and the full ears, and the withered ears. And he calls everyone, all his wise men, all his magicians, and he asks each of them to give him an explanation, and none is able to give an interpretation. The Midrash tells us something also very strange. It says he dreamed the same dream for two years, with the explanation to the dream. And he forgot. Every single night he dreamed, he would forget the dream and obviously forget the explanation. After two years, he's still dreaming the same dream. So it's two years. The butler comes to him and he says to him, you know, there's a guy who I met in jail and he, even though he's a kid and he's a Hebrew and he's a slave and he's a worthless, he may be able to help you. And all this time, over two years, the butler is busy with the nod, Pharaoh is busy with the dream, Yosef is stuck in, the, in, in prison. It seems like almost like Groundhog Day, you know, same thing happened again and again and again, and, and nothing changes. So he gets up, he had his dream, he's very upset, he can't remember the interpretation. This is why when Yosef explains to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, this is the dream, because Paro doesn't give him the exact details of the dream. It's very interesting. Paro tells him, I was standing on the side of the river. Meanwhile, the dream says, I was standing over the river. Some idea is, yeah, yeah uh, he doesn't want to seem, it seems, when, when, when 
Yosef says to him that I'm not going to be able to explain it, but God will explain it. He sees in Yosef this level of humility, and Paro suddenly has this somewhat level of humility because dreaming that he's standing on the Yeor, standing on the Nile, means he's standing over the gods of Egypt. This is the way of the Goyim, this is the way of the Abu Dazara. They're there to control the god. The way of Bnei Israel is always like Yaakov, he's on the ladder, but Hashem is above him. Hashem is always above us. The way of the Goyim is they're above their gods. They're above their gods. So Paro is embarrassed by Yosef's humility, and he tries to show some fake humility himself. And he says to him, the dream was that I stood by the river. By. Yosef though realizes, no, this is not what you dreamed. You dreamed you stood on top of the river. The Midrash tells us that Yosef had the same dream as Paro. And he was able to tell Paro the dream word for word, scene for scene, and he gave him the explanation. All this was to release Yosef from jail and to gain him the office of prime minister. Definitely there could have been other ways to have this done. And the crazy question that everyone has to ask is, okay, so you got Mr. Wizard, you got Mr. Dream Interpreter to come and interpret the dream. At the time, Egypt is the greatest superpower in the world. No one's greater than Egypt at the time. Greater than America today, greater than China, greater than Russia, greater than all combined. That's the, the comparison to Egypt. They are the world power. You're going to take a guy who interpreted a dream and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt? How is that possible? Give him an award. Give him an honor. Make him a, a chief of something. But come on. The head of all Egypt, no one can do anything other than him. And Paro is only going to take care of his house. No one else does anything but Yosef. How could that be the reward? Open up a, a storefront from him and go dream interpreter. You have all the gypsy places you see all during all over the city. You know, free palm reading. What's going on that he makes him the head? When the butler finally comes to Paro, it seems like Paro is having a heart attack. This is troubling him so much he can't figure out what's going on. He... And why does the butler seem to come forward at this time and suddenly now he could remember? It's his own life he's trying to save. Why? If Paro has a heart attack and dies, then Paro goes into the pyramid in his uh, big tomb. And who comes with him? All of his servants, whether they're alive or dead. So he says, let me try to save him. So he tells his story. Like we said, there's a lousy Jew, worthless, but he could interpret. So they send him, they shave him, he comes to Paro. And Paro makes him CEO of Egypt. Is there someone, Ish, Chacham Venavon? Is there someone so wise and understanding? He's the only guy who can make the head of Egypt. Where's his degree in agriculture? Where's his degree in government? Where's his experience in running a government? Then he does something also. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Paro then comes. And gives him a wife. Paro comes and becomes the matchmaker. Why is Paro giving him a wife? Osnat, Bat Potiphar. And the Midrash, like we mentioned last week, says, Who is she? She's the daughter of Dinah. 
she was wearing the, the necklace that said that she's the daughter of Dina, she didn't understand. The question is, why does Paro become a matchmaker? He marries them, wants him to become president. Okay, you can't become president without a wife. What does he need to give him a wife in order for him to become the president? And it seems a detail that we, we don't understand. And we remember the Midrash, you know, the Midrash says that she was born, that she was looked down upon, so the angel took her, the stork, that's the original stork image, and the stork takes her, and the stork brings her and drops her off in Potiphar's house. So back to the question. Clearly tells us that Paro gave Osnat, why? We skip to chapter uh, 42. The famine is on, Yaakov tells his children, don't show off. Even if you don't have it, don't show anything. Even if you do have it, especially don't show. The Midrash tells us that Yerushalayim was destroyed because of Ayin Hara. The first Luchot were destroyed because of Ayin Hara. 99% of the people in the cemetery, tells us in the Gemara, are there because of Ayin Hara. Don't let people think you have food. Go down to Egypt. All the brothers go down. Benjamin stays home. They go on the highway. It's dangerous. Stay You're supposed to always try to stay close to home. And they come to Egypt. Yosef had set himself up that he's the one who meets with foreign people. And he decides how much they could buy. And he's handling the sales when the foreign people come to him the first time. So so the brothers come to Yosef. Yosef, as we know, accuses them of being spies. Meraglim atem. You are spies, you came in through different ways. They tell him there was a brother they had, he's lost, they may be looking for him. He, they didn't find him, they're looking all over for him. And there's one more brother at home. The Pasuk, also, the Perasha also tells us, the Pasuk tells us that Yosef recognized his brothers. Of course he recognizes them. He grew up with them. He was 17 years old when he left. And all of the brothers, with the exception of Benjamin, were born within a six-year period. That means the oldest is going to be Reuven, and it's going to be from twenty was from going to be then from twenty-three till seventeen. And Yosef is among the youngest. Maybe he wasn't the youngest, but among the youngest. So twenty-three to seventeen, they're all within six years. All born within six years. Yosef left at seventeen. Of course he's going to recognize his brothers. They're his brothers. They all come together. He sees them. They don't look that much different. 13 years later, how much different are they going to look? So the Gemara tells us, the Gemara tells us uh, that, that uh, they don't recognize him. The Pasuk tells us they don't recognize him. The Gemara tries to explain why not. Uh, he has a beard. I don't know, maybe he had a little beard at 17. Maybe he had just peach fuzz at 17. Does that mean he's not, they're not going to recognize their own brother? Especially the Torah tells us that he looked exactly like his father Yaakov. He looked exactly like his father. So if he looked exactly like his father, how could they not recognize him at all? It, it, it's very hard to understand. I was with my mother at, at, and, and Chantel. We were at dinner a couple of nights ago. We were sitting outside in some restaurant. And I see a couple of people on the table next to me. And I recognize one right away. I had not seen this person in probably 40 years. 
probably 40 years, but I recognized them. And the other person I didn't recognize right away, she, she came over to the table, she introduced, she asked my mother, do you recognize me? And then she said who her mother was, and suddenly I remembered who she was. I hadn't seen these people in 40 years. And they're not my brothers, and I didn't see them that often. And I still remembered them. How is it possible for all of the brothers not to recognize Yosef because of the beard? Even if someone grew a beard that I went to school with in high school, I would probably recognize them. He was so handsome, he looked like Yaakov. So the brothers tell their story. We came to look for the lost brother. We're looking for him now. He's gone for 20 years without the beard. Sorry, it was 20 years from the 13 plus the 7. Now, uh, assuming as it doesn't make sense to me, it really doesn't make sense. Ten of them are sitting in front of him, and none of them recognize, none of them turns to the other and says, Hey, that, that could be Yosef. And suddenly, he remembers the dream. He remembers now, as they bow to him, he remembers the dream. As if the Pasuk is telling us, Ah, I was right. It seems strange. What do you mean? Yosef is going to relish that, that they're bowing to him. Then the Pasuk tells us that it says, Nachnu. All of us are the children of one man. Nachnu. It's skipping the letter Aleph in the word Anachnu. Then a minute later, it goes back and uses the term Anachnu. So the question we have to ask is why, in the first time when they're introducing themselves, is the Aleph missing from the word Anachnu? Keep that in mind. They have the back and forth. And then he wants Benjamin to come down. And let's stop there at the story. We all know the story. We take a look at the Haftarah that we normally read for Hanukkah. It's the Haftarah of Zechariah. The Menorah and the Bet HaMikdash and the rabbis decided that this Haftarah we should read this week about building the second temple. The angle is uh, to Yehoshua, Kohen Gadol. We have the Menorah. The Halakha tells us that we have to have a Chanukiah or Menorah and Hanukkah. It's hard to understand. What's so important about lighting a candle on Hanukkah? In fact, the rabbis tell us that it's so important if a person has no money or not enough money, he has to beg or rent himself or sell his clothes to pawn them, do something to be able to buy oil to light the menorah. It's a top priority. If someone doesn't have money to buy lulav and etrog, we don't force if someone doesn't have money to buy tefillin, we don't force. If someone doesn't have money, we don't force them to do a mitzvah. There are only a few mitzvot that we push someone to do, and we force them to be able to be part of that mitzvah. One of the few mitzvot is buying a ner for Hanukkah. It's interesting, the only thing or one of the few things that's higher than a ner for Hanukkah is ner of Shabbat. Everyone must have a light. Everyone must have a light. Rambam. He says that it's a compliment to Hanukkah. He says that that Ner uh, Hanukkah is a mitzvah chavivat me'od. It's a mitzvah that's beloved. The question: Why beloved? Why is so special to light the menorah of Hanukkah? Why here? Why is it so dear? Why don't we talk about other mitzvot that they're chavivah? 
that they're beloved. What's so special about lighting the menorah of Hanukkah? There's other laws that come with Hanukkah that are very interesting to me. For example, we have a law that if you live on a corner and you have two entrances to your home, you have to light a Hanukkah, a menorah, in each side of the home. You have to light it on, if you live on the corner of Avenue J and Bedford Avenue, you have to light one, and you have two entrances, real entrances to your home. You'd have to light one on Avenue J, one on, one on uh, Bedford Avenue. The question is why? Why do you have to light on both sides? So someone's going to walk by, they're going to turn the corner, they say, oh, okay, Joe lives there, he lit the candle. He says, but what if the guy only walks on Avenue J and you lit on Bedford Avenue? He's going to think, hey, Joe didn't light. Why are we hashash? Why do we have this fear that someone's going to be the accusatory? Aren't we supposed to judge everyone with the benefit of the doubt? Why, when it comes to Hanukkah, we're worried that someone's going to think someone didn't light? Another strange halakha in Hanukkah is if someone can't light themselves in the house, a guy's in another town, he can't light, maybe he can't be in the hotel, or whatever reason he can't light. If it's the first night of Hanukkah, he could still make two berachot. Why? He goes outside, he sees a house that lit, and he can't make the berachah lehadlik, but he can make the berachah she'asani simla boteno, and he can make the berachah on shechiano. And the question is again, why? What's so special about Hanukkah? That we're, we're saying that it's a, you have to force a guy to do it and he would make this beracha even if he doesn't like We don't really have this with any of the other mitzvot. Another one that we have to understand is we all light in the synagogue and then we light at home. What other mitzvah do we have? Do we eat mitzvah in the, uh, matzah in the synagogue, then matzah in the house? No. Do we have to shake the lulav in the synagogue, shake the lulav in the house again? No. Why do we have a mitzvah? We do in the synagogue and again in the house. What's so special about this mitzvah? The Arizal says, Emunah. It says we believe in Hashem. In America, we all grew up with the word seeing is believing. In a court, in a bet din, the witness has to see with their own eyes. In a Jewish bet din, circumstantial evidence as proof is not acceptable. You could jail the guy, but you can't convict him. It's not proof. Our belief is not circumstantial. Says the Arizal, our belief is based on seeing. At Har Sinai, at Yamsuf, at Yamsuf, at crossing the sea, we said, Ze'eli ve'anveu, this is my God, and I will exalt him. The rabbis explain, our neshamot actually saw so, and it's based on seeing of our ancestors. If we were all at Har Sinai, our neshamot also. Hashem made himself available in some way, in some entity, for us to see, so our souls have power and ability to believe. Thus, we really have no excuse. Other nations did not see. Thus, they have no basis. Maybe this is where we have the souls of Gerim were at Har Sinai, so that they would have a basis. You can't even expect it without it. But also we have, it says the whole world saw. But maybe they saw something different. Maybe via Adam, maybe via Noah, maybe some scenery. We say every day, a number of times in our, our prayers, we say it in each prayer, to end each prayer, Alenu Lishabeach. 
And we say, Yakidu veyedu kol yoshve tevel. At the end of days, everyone will know. Everyone will recognize. But in order to recognize something, you have to have seen it before. How else could I recognize it if I didn't see it before? The Midrash explains it. Yamsuf, we said, Ze'eli, this is my God. Point with a finger. Because we saw in Egypt, the children nursed by the rocks. They were thrown into the Nile. Hashem raised them himself. They said, this is my God. The Mashiach tells us that at the time of the Mashiach, we're told by the rabbis that all the Sadiqim are going to sit in a circle and they're going to point and they're going to say, Ze'eli, this is my God. They're going to have a memory from a prior time and connect with that memory in order to say, now I know. Doctors who study memory tell us that chas v'shalom, without memory, the body eventually ceases to function. The brain remembers and tells the body to do something. There are constant messages coming from the control center to the body. When there's a loss of memory, Darizal says this is a terrible, terrible thing. In Hebrew, the word memory, to remember, the, the verb to remember, is lizkor, to remember, zachar, zocher. The word zachar also means male. It's the same root, to remember and the male. What does the man have to do with remember? He's the guy who forgets the anniversary and the birthday. What does that mean? Lezecher, zecher, memory. It's interesting that in Aramaic, the same root for memory is the same root as male as well. So again, we have something to do with this memory and the root of male. The Zohar asks a question. What was the power of Yosef? What was the power? Where did his strength come from? When the brothers sold Yosef, there's a channel, there's a hall, there's a palace in Shamayim that's called Zichronot, memory. Memory. There's a place called memory in Shamayim, a hall, a source of energy. In Hallel we say, Amonai Zecharanu Yevarech. God, remember us, praise us. We have a holiday. And it's called Rosh Hashanah. But what does the Torah call Rosh Hashanah? The Torah talks about a shofar. It talks about, we, talk, we talk about the Yom Teshuvah. We talk about Yom Ma'amat Hadin. But no, the Torah uses a term for Rosh Hashanah called Yom Hazikaron. The Day of Remembrance. We see in Yalevi Yavo for that day. We should remember Yom Hazikaron Hazer. The day of remembrance. Because this is the power of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the day we can connect with this channel called memory, zikaron. Via this channel, which I believe is really associated with the channel of Bina, all things come. Health, business, all through this... Con- this, this, this uh, Concept called zichronot, memory. Without this concept of zichron, of memory, nothing could exist. We need memory. 
We need memory because we think of something, then we can say it. The only way we can say it is if we remember what we were thinking in order to say it. Memory is associated with every function we have to relate to each other as people and also ourselves. This channel also has a name and it's called Yosef. This is why when Yosef was born, it was said he would overcome Esav because Yosef is connected to this channel called memory, which I believe is also the channel called Mina. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Hazikaron, the day of remembering, is the day you could connect. Rabbeinu Ha'ari says the reason why Yosef was released from jail and interpreted the dream on Rosh Hashanah is because he's the conduit in making the connection with this channel. Yosef supplies the link that connects us to this channel called memory. We need him as the link. The dream he's explaining to Paro and he's explaining the dream in a way that I, Yosef, am the link to overcome what's going on. You, Paro, are dreaming this dream, but I am above connecting our world to the world of Bina, to the world of Zichronot. If we allow the dream to take place as the dream was dreamt, and as the explanation of the dream was made, what was the explanation of the dream? The seven bad years will completely swallow up the seven good years to the point where the seven good years are not remembered. There's no connection anymore. If that's the nevuah, that the seven bad years are going to wipe out the seven good years, then no matter what you try to save or do, is going to be wiped out. But if you can go above nature and connect directly to this aspect called Mina, to this aspect called Zichron, to this aspect called memory, you could overcome nature. We say that when the river split, the sea saw Vayanos and its flee. Why? The sea said, it's part of my nature to stay together. But when the bones of Yosef come into the water, the sea splits. Why? Because Yosef went against nature. And since he went against nature, the sea would also go against nature for him. Yosef is connected to this Torah and purity. This is really why Yaakov loved Yosef. Yaakov was learning with Yosef specifically. Why learning with Yosef more than anyone else? Because Yosef is the connection, is the link to this world. And through Yosef, the rest of the world is supplied. He's the mashpia. He's the one. He's the parnas. He's the one who gives from the other world into our world. And it's really the Torah and purity which maintain that link. When it comes to Hanukkah, what did the Greeks want to do? They made Gezerot, they made edicts. Those edicts were specifically meant to break the linkage 
between B'nai Israel and Hashem, between B'nai Israel and heaven, between B'nai Israel and the source of blessing. Stop Brit Milah. We said Brit Milah is Zachar, the masculine. The way Yosef is able to overcome everything is by being Shomer the Brit. He connects the Zachar, the memory, with this being able to overcome his desire. He's able to overcome the test and he's able to keep the connection. It's very interesting to me that the Midrash tells us when the people of Egypt came to Moshe, to Yosef, to Paro, and they said, Paro, Yosef, we, we want food. Paro said, go to Yosef. They said, we can't go to Yosef. He wants us to have a Brit Milah. And it, it's disgusting. Why would we have a Brit Milah at this age? Why would we have a Brit Milah, Paro? He says, whatever Yosef tells you, you have to do. Yosef understood that the only way they could break nature was by overcoming nature and connecting direct to the source and therefore he forced all of the Egyptians to have a Brit Milah. I don't think it's because he wanted them to have a Brit Milah so that his brothers would be different, wouldn't be different. His brothers were going to be living in a different place anyway. The Brit Milah was necessary to overcome and allow them to be able to have the food which by nature they shouldn't be able to have. The next thing the Greeks wanted to break was the Shabbat. They wanted to break the holidays. They wanted to break the mikveh. They wanted to sleep with the bride on the first night of the wedding. Everything was to break the connection to this place called Zikaron, Zecher, Zachar, memory. These are all linking mitzvot. What did they try to do? The Greeks tried to disconnect us. The secret to Hanukkah is the Chashmonaim, 13 people. They restored the link between the below and above. In reality, we lost the link because we were Hellenized, because of what the Greeks did. They disconnected us. They made us forget who we are, where we come from, what we hold as values. Forget. If you don't do what Yosef did, to maintain the connection of purity, the Torah, etc., you lose the link. You lose the connection. The Torah really is telling us that Yosef has the connection to this most important channel. He tells the butler, remember me, remember me. What does he do when he tells the butler to remember him? He connects to someone who he should not have connected to. He connects through the butler, but the butler cannot be the connection point. In fact, the butler is unclean. He's the severing point. Why do we know that? Because the fly goes into the drink that the butler is holding. The fly represents the impurity. The impurity is who the butler really is. The problem, it seems like a very likely occurrence. It's easy for a fly to land inside, something we seem to can't control. It's not the fly that makes him guilty. The fly represents the impurity, and this guy basically causes a short circuit. Therefore, the angel is untying the string, removing the rock. The guy can't remember. He can't be connected to this place of memory. It's only two years later, and Paro doesn't remember his dream. Two years later, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Hazikaron, that we then have Yosef, who's connecting us to this place cold memory. I think the idea that we have is we have dreams. 
our dreams can come from two different places. They can come from a positive side. They could come from a negative side. We could have a dream that's showing us something to make us upset, which is coming from the dark side. Or a dream which is positive to show us something good. The Gemara tells us that most dreams are nonsense and every dream has a little bit of nonsense. But there are dreams on a certain level that allow us to connect to a very high level. We have something that if someone is troubled, they could ask a question through their dream. And the rabbis tell us they could rely on that. How could that be if the dream is nonsense? Because there's a way to connect to the dream in a way that allows us to connect to this place called zikron, memory. What's the hardest thing about a dream? It's to remember it. We have a dream, we wake up, and then it disappears. It's hard to remember because it's hard to connect. It's interesting, the rabbis would tell us that what should we do? If we want to remember our dream, if we want to have a dream that's going to give us an answer, we should learn before we go to sleep. We should go to sleep happy. We should go to sleep not with a full stomach. There are all these tricks. Sometimes the rabbi would say, write the question on a piece of paper and stick it under your pillow. And the dream will connect you to a higher place to give you the answer. Yosef is the link that connects this higher world of Bina to our world. If we go through the Kabbalah, we look at the Sefirot, the spheres, and there's a coming down of energy, a filtering of energy from the highest light down to where we are. But sometimes what we want to be able to do is to jump over, jump through all the Sefirot to Bina. We want Bina. When Paro tells his people, is there someone who has chokhmah ubina, chacham v'navon? He sees that Yosef, what is so special about Yosef? That Yosef says that God is going to tell me, God is supplying you. Yosef is showing that he's connected to this power called Elohim. And he can draw the sustenance from this place called Bina. That's the secret of Yosef and that's why Paro is appointing him. The secret of the candles is it allows us to go back and connect to this place called Bina, to this light of healing, to this light of wisdom that comes through the candles. And that's why the rabbis tell us no matter what, you must have a candle because you must be able to connect to this place in order to draw down the light, especially in the darkest time of year. This is the darkest days, is now. So draw the light by having the connection. This connection to Bina is the secret of Yosef. It's the secret of memory. It's the secret of the place that's called memory. Yosef connects us to this place called memory through the purity. If we want to connect to this place called memory, we have to do it the same way. We have to do it the same way as Yosef, through purity, through the Torah, through the connection. Why does he give him a wife? Because he gives, Parod gives him a wife because he sees that Yosef is connected to this place called memory. And in order for him to be connected to this place called memory, he has to be together with his wife because he has to be Zachar with Nekeva in order to come with another generation so that Yosef could draw and give. Draw and give. That's our whole purpose is to draw and give. Why did his brothers not recognize him? 
because his brothers are disconnected because they disconnected from Yosef himself. It says, why didn't Hashem tell Yaakov what was going on? The rabbis tell us Yitzhak knew that Yosef was still alive. Isaac was still alive this whole time. Isaac knew that Joseph is alive. And he can't tell his son who's in mourning for 17 years over his son. Or for 22 years over his son. He's mourning he, from 17 till 39. That's how long it is. 17 till 30. At 30 he comes out of the pit. Then you have the seven years of good. And it's the second year of the famine and when Yaakov finally comes down. 39. So it's 22 years he doesn't see him. Why during the 20 years or so that Yitzchak was alive didn't he tell his son? He says because God didn't tell him. Why didn't God tell him? Because the sons got Hashem into their minyan to stop. Because they were disconnected from Yosef. And by disconnecting, they couldn't recognize Yosef. They didn't have this ability of zecher, of zichron, of the connection of this whole of remembrance. All of us look for beracha in our life. We look for bracha, we look for atzlacha, we run for blessings, we do blessings. But the way to have the blessing is to be able to connect to this place called Bina. We sing in Ma'osur about connecting to Bina. Everything about Hanukkah is connecting to this place called Bina. The whole idea of Shabbat, the whole idea that we talked about a number of times of the expansion of the soul, of the extra soul, which we explained is an expansion of the soul. It's that our higher level of soul can go from this level of Mahut, skip all of the middle stages and come directly to Bina, and we have Shabbat as a direct channel. That's the whole idea of Shabbat being Mekor Bracha. That's the idea of the wife bringing the Mekor Bracha. The rabbis tell us that it's the wife who brings all the Bracha, because when we have that holy connection through the Zachar and Nekevah, through this Zecher, we can connect from the bottom straight to the top without the channels, and the light comes flowing down. The parasha is really giving us so many clues of how we can be like Yosef. We could be Mashpia. We could be Parnas. We could be the ones who supply. How? By emulating Yosef. How do you emulate Yosef? Emulate Yosef in purity. Emulate Yosef in the way he does things. Emulate Yosef in his honesty. Emulate Yosef. Look, when the wife of Potiphar comes, the rabbis tell us that all day long, Yosef was sitting there looking at everyone, dressing and everyone wanted him, and still he held himself to be pure. It's not easy. It's very difficult. The test comes every single day. Yosef had tests come every day. And what's so strange about Yosef is it's almost like he was innocent and he was still punished. Yet he didn't complain. He did the best he could in the situation he was in. And Hashem said everywhere he went, he was matzliach. He was successful. Successful in the prison? Yeah, in the prison. Successful as a slave? Yes, as a slave. He still looked at it and said, okay, I have a job, I have to do it, I have to do it faithfully. When the wife of Potiphar comes, he says, I cannot sin not against God, but against my master. I have to be faithful. When a person is faithful, when a person has that connection, they can be the, the life force, the drawing of the force from above to below to everyone around them. I believe this is really the, the message of this week's parashah. The message that we can connect to this higher world. With the rabbis tell us that a dream is one-sixtieth of nevuah. Sleep is one-sixtieth of death. 
the Navi who gets Nebuah, he's laying on the floor in some sort of epileptic fit. He can't even control himself and he's getting the message. Why? Because you have to disconnect somewhat from the body in order for that to work, the Nebuah to work. Hashem allows us to sleep at night in order for our soul to reach this higher level, to recharge itself. And if we're worthy, to get messages from above on how we have to go about. I had a question that I don't really have the answer. The question I ended up with is this question. A word results in a year, two words, two years. Why? We understand the answer we gave was two years, two words, because he broke the connection, Yosef. He broke it. Each word creates reality, so he's created a reality of two years, two words. Later on, he loses 10 years of his life because the reality is created in the word of Decha that he hears 10 times. He's created this reality. And Yaakov was on such a high level. Each of his words creates a tremendous reality. And thus, 33 year, words take 33 years. I'm still bothered. I understand it in that level, but I'm still bothered. And that's something that Bezrat Hashem, we're going to look into. And God willing, I'm going to ask Hashem tonight, maybe I'll have a dream and the rabbi will come and explain it to me. And God willing, next week we'll be able to give everybody the answer. I want to wish everybody a, a wonderful Hanukkah. Uh, we remember that you have Zot Hanukkah. Tomorrow night is Zot Hanukkah. It's the eighth night of Hanukkah. It's the most important day of Hanukkah. Try when you're lighting the candles tomorrow night. El, I left you the candles are set up for you because you should light in the place that you sleep. So when you light the candles tomorrow night, try to look at the candles. Stare at the candles for some time. Try to look into the light and take the power of this light to allow yourself to connect to what the Greeks tried to disconnect us from. The miracle of the candle is to be able to connect. If we could become the connection, then we take that connection and give it to our children. That's our role, that's our job. So everyone should try. Zot Hanukkah, the most powerful day of Hanukkah, tomorrow night. Take that power of Hanukkah, look into the candles, connect to it, and take the power of Yosef, who was able to feed the entire world, who was able to supply the entire world, who was able to keep the entire world alive through the efforts of one person. Take his gift and let it become yours. Everybody have a great, great rest of